0: Hello legends, before we get into the episode I just want to quickly tell you about a brand new show that I have just released, it's called Crime at Bedtime and as the name suggests it's been designed with those in mind who like to go to sleep at night listening to a fascinating true crime story. We'll release a brand new episode every single Monday but right now there is a stack of episodes for you to binge straight away so go check it out, it's called Crime at Bedtime, it's available wherever you get your podcasts from. And welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name's Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Jeremy Kane and his brother Zach have been incarcerated in Alabama since they were 15 and 16. Now, in their late 30s, they've missed out on a hell of a lot of life. Prom, university, parties, birthdays, Christmases, New Year's, and, of course, relationships. Although, for Jeremy Kane, he has found some happiness in an otherwise bleak situation. For those of you that have listened to the story of the Cain brothers, you would have heard me talking to and about Jeremy's wife, Amanda. And many people have asked me about their story. How did they meet? Did they know each other before Jeremy went away? So I spoke with Jeremy and asked him. How did you guys meet, you and your wife?
3: Um, well, um, in so oh, twelve maybe... I'm not sure the exact, is it 11 or 12? Um, I was at a, another group in the Level 4 facility, and there was a guy there that um, we did, had visitation at the same time, and his sister was coming down, and she was friends with her, and they rode down together, and I met her at a visitation, and we started talking some and then that started from there, and we talked, and now it's 12 years later, I guess. Wow, that's amazing. Mom, so it was just a I random...
0: She was randomly in the visitor's room and you just started talking to her?
3: Well, the guy that she was riding with, her, his sister... I mean, we were kind of friends. We you know, knew each other and stuff. So we would sit at the same table sometimes and, and my family and his family, whatever, might sit at the same visitation table and talk and stuff like that. And she was sitting there and... I mean, she came to several visits and stuff. Uh, I guess he had told her some stuff about me or whatever and she was interested... We talked. It um, really wasn't um, a whole lot of business and stuff. And then um, back then, I mean, I had um, cell phones and stuff. I was on Facebook and that kind of thing. And she messaged me on there, and we started talking, and we just started talking.
0: It's fascinating because, you know, obviously, we know your story, and but for most people, they just find out that you're in there for murder, like you're in there for murder, and you've got a 35-year sentence, so, you know, mm-hmm. I find it fascinating that um, people are, can be more open-minded and, and not just go, oh, God, that guy's in there for murder, I'm not talking to him.
3: Right, and, you know, I you was know, you know, looking in, I think a lot of people like probably think she'd be crazy, but like, we visited, and she, you know, seen me in person, and you know, got to know them a little bit through visitation and talk to my family and, and everything to hearing kind of my story and, and open mind to actually look into it herself and, um, and see that I'm not, I mean, I, I didn't just murder somebody, you know, and, and, and there are a lot of people in prison that did just murder somebody. You know, it's, everybody, you know, stuff is, is different, you know, and I tell her, you know, I mean, and tell most people, I would recommend someone meeting and talking to someone for prison um there are some good people in here but i would say 90 percent really aren't that good i mean there's a the small percentage that are decent people and just got in a bad situation um and there's a lot of people in here that's that's good in here but they get back out of here and they get back on drugs and um you know see a whole different side of them and they're brought back in prison I mean, i've seen several people that have been in and out of prison i don't know i was at one point i was at When I first got locked up, there was a guy I seen come back and forth five times in five years. Wow. And now it just made me sick. Like, I can't even get out one time. You can just get out over and over and over again. Um, But, yeah, that's kind of the short version of how we've been.
0: Now, just as a heads up, I spoke with Amanda about this just recently after the first episode went out and before the story had gained traction from the community. I was talking to Jeremy the other day about how you guys met. It's wild. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) It is I mean, wild. I never
4: envisioned this would be my life, but um, yeah, when I moved down to Alabama, um, I was visiting my friend's brother with her, and met Jeremy on the visitation yard, and the rest is history.
0: But it's, I mean, it's pretty crazy, really. I mean, you know, I, I think I think a lot of people couldn't even fathom getting into a relationship with someone who's incarcerated, first of all, let alone you know then getting married and you're also married to a guy who's could be in prison for quite some time.
4: Yes. Um I think for me it was I think originally kind of talking it was an outlet for both of us um something different, you know, get to know you. He was funny. Um and we talked and we just talked a lot and I learned about his case and I learned about the type of person that he was. Um And it just it was flabbergasting to me that he was where he was due to the circumstances and these small town. You know, I'm from a big city, so I'm from St. Louis. Yeah. And just the um, small town, crooked southern politics was crazy to me that they could do this to these these kids. And of course, I questioned he lied to me. And the more I learned and got involved with his parents and um, went over transcripts and um, recordings and this and that, I was like, well, there's a conflict, there's a conflict, there's a conflict. And it was just, it, it was crazy. And so the more I learned, like he was just not this bad person and he deserved somebody too. You know, we just, we got along, we never argue and it was just a sacrifice that I made and you don't you can't really help who you fall in love with and <laughs>
0: It's probably, some would say it's probably the best relationship uh, you can have because you're not, you as you said, that you don't argue, but I mean, obviously you don't live together, so you're not under yeah, each other's feet true. all the time and, you know, he's not he's not leaving the toilet seat up or not packing the dishwasher inc- incorrectly incorrect, or irritating you in those uh, everyday scenarios that happen in my house. But uh, Yes,
4: and I actually tell people that. I'm like, I don't, you know, when he does come home, that's going to be a big adjustment. Yeah. For both of us, because he's used to being around people all the time, and I'm not. So just to have somebody in my space is like, whoa, wait a minute.
2: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
1: Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made ByHeart a better formula for formula. Learn more at ByHeart.com.
2: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
0: Nice dress. Uh,
4: it's
3: a it's a T-shirt.
2: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs coming off a parents' plan or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. find out more about United healthcare coverage at uh one dot com that's uh one dot com
0: you got married as well, which is you know I mean that's a lot of people again will see that as a huge step because you know, you do have a very long sentence and there's no guarantees for you when it comes to your release. Um, you know, so there's always that yeah, sort of hanging over your heads, really.
3: Yeah, we we got married two years ago. So we've been, I'd say together 12 years and married two. Um, so it took a long time before we decided to go that route. Because, I mean, initially when I first started talking to her, I always told her, like, you know, having someone a female companion out there, sometimes it's easier and sometimes it's harder.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
3: So, initially, when we started talking, I kept telling like, I'm not trying to have a serious relationship because I feel like, you know, at some point, you're going to be gone because I can't give you, you know, everything that you need because I'm in here. You know, so I, I kept figuring, you know, a year, two years went by, three years went by, and, then, you know, so uh, you know, I always had in the back of my mind, like, eventually, she's probably going to leave. Um, but, luckily, that, you know, it never Panned out, and you know, with most people, that's usually how it goes. Yeah. Um. Because I had met, I had met several people before we met that had come and seen me and stuff in here, and and people that I knew from home before, and then other people I'd met online and stuff, and and that kind of thing. And it lasts, you know, three, four months, six months, a year, and and then they move on. Um. So that's pretty much what I expected. And I try not to get, you know, it's at that time when I get too attached. So, you know, it makes it very difficult when those things go south. Yeah, and of course. So I just tried to avoid that.
0: What was your family's reaction when you um, told them that you were talking with a guy who was in prison?
4: Well, we actually um, kept it a secret for a really long time from my family, mm. and then some things happened and we let them know, and um, my mother came around. My um, grandmother's not super fond of it, um, but she's 90. So she's yeah. kind of old old school yeah. and um, which rightfully so. I mean, if my daughter decided that she wanted to date a guy in prison, I'd be skeptical too. So I'm trying to really get my mom up to speed on kind of what had happened. And my grandma's really not interested <laughs> and I don't really have a relationship with my dad. So, Okay.
0: What about, what about friends and that when you tell them or people that, you know, because um, obviously you're, you guys are married, people you meet, and it's like you know, you, they, do they say, "Oh, you know, where's your husband?"
4: They they do, and it's kind of um, taken me a while to just kind of freely talk about it. Most yeah. of the time, I just kind of suppressed it and um, didn't really talk about it. Or um, before we got married, so, oh well, I'll be in a relation maybe one day, maybe one day, and um then it just here it all is and it was kind of a big weight lifted off of my shoulders um most of the people were pretty accepting um they probably were whispering behind my back but yeah well who cares <laughs> i mean but most of them were pretty pretty accepting to the situation especially when i discussed the actual details of the case yeah they're definitely more understanding yeah.
0: That would be the hard thing in just day-to-day life, you know. I was People are so judgmental and especially with people in prison, you know. And I used to be the same before I started this. So I was just like, well, if you're in prison, you're in there because you did something wrong and, you know, that's that. So for you to just say, well, you know, my husband's yeah, he's in prison, um, there's an instant judgment from people before they sort of know the details and it, it, can be yeah. hard, it can be hard in those situations to go, okay, so my husband's in prison for murder, but just hear me out and let me explain the situation and then, you know, try, try <laughs> to, but he, he's not a bad man, he didn't do it, you know, it's like, uh, it's like oh, yes. yeah, and, right. and
4: then you get, well, that's what they all yeah, say. and yeah. so, I mean, it's, it's definitely a fight, um, you know, it's a choice that I made and...
0: And it's your life and who cares what anyone to, else thinks.
4: Yeah, and it hasn't been easy, um, but it's just kind of one of those things that he's worth it to me. So
0: yeah. so how often do you get to see each other?
3: Uh, well, since COVID, it's gotten really difficult. We only get to see each other but once a month for a couple of hours. Now, prior to COVID, um, it was um, twice a month for about four to five hours, and they haven't ever since they took our visit, because we didn't have any visitation for like a little over a year. And then when they started it back, it was very limited. And it was like, uh, they have these little glass dividers they'd want you to sit behind and, and you couldn't touch each other and that kind of stuff. And most, you know, the business I had prior to that, it was, we're sitting at a table face to face. You give each other a hug, hold hands, that kind of thing. And then, um, he said after COVID, it just, it just got worse. And in Alabama, just, they've been looking for an excuse or a way to get rid of visitation for forever. And then when that happened, it kind of just gave them an excuse. And then when they started it back, it's very limited. Um like where I'm at now, they're so strict. Um they're only allowed only like two visitors at a time. And used to it would be up four adults and four children at at a time to so get up to eight people. But now it's only two, so it makes it very difficult and then they transferred me, um um about three and a half hours from home, so that's made it more difficult. Um, for, for my wife to have to travel that far for a two hour visit, I have to leave at three, four o'clock in the morning and it would be visitation's at 8.30, and then have to turn around after that and drive back three or four hours, you know, back the other direction. Yeah. So I'm actually currently trying to get transferred back closer to home. They transferred me to this facility because they needed someone to drive a van. Um, they don't just let anybody drive vans. I mean, you can have a driver's license. They're on going to let you drive. if they don't think you're trustworthy or you haven't just been out of trouble or if you're too young. Um, they don't like a lot of younger drivers, you know, people in their 20s really because they're just – usually more susceptible to allow people to sway them and do something else. They
0: do. I've heard this post-COVID visitation thing from actually a few different facilities. There's a guy I talk with in Michigan, and he said the same thing, that you know, obviously when COVID hit, there was no visitations, and then they sort of brought them back slightly, but he said they have not returned to what they were pre-COVID, and he said it's purely just an excuse to, to not, bring the, not bring it back, basically. Yeah,
3: but I mean, that's what they're doing, because at, at this facility I'm at here, like, Everybody here, well, not everybody, but the majority of people here go out to work every single day. And you're around people, and then, you know, there's also the level that I'm at. I'm in minimum, but they have another level slightly lower than me that's minimum community. And what they are allowed to do when they have a job for a certain period of time and stuff, they get get home passes. So they get to go actually go home for, it starts out four hours every weekend, and then it goes to eight hours. And then after they do that so many times, they get 36 hours. Every other weekend, they get to go home, you know, 36 hours. So, it's like 8 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. You come back at 8 o'clock at night, Sunday night. And then every 90 days, they get to go home for 72 hours. So, they've gotten theirs back up fully going. But the, all the rest of us, we're still stuck with a two-hour crappy visit. Could you
0: um, ever get that? Or because of your and, charge, you'd you know, never UC get that?
3: Prior- now, due to my charge, on um, this kind of ridiculous, on um, I, I could take all of them to work, and even at the facility I was at before I came here, I worked the same job on a college campus for three years, and there was about it was three work police guys working there with about twenty other guys that were in the level I'm in, and I'm working the exact same job as they are, but they're getting paid on um, like nine dollars an hour, and I would get two dollars a day. They did the exact same job, but since my custody is slightly different than theirs, uh, I can't get the, the nine dollars an hour just because of my charge. But it so used to um, with my charge, you could go to work release and back in the 90s. But then an incident happened where someone I believe was at a work release and killed someone, but the person that did it didn't have a violent charge. But when that happened, everybody with a violent charge automatically got their custody changed, and then. It slowly started changing back, and pretty much every charge other than murder. Um, if you have a sex crime, you can't come to the level that I'm at, period. Um, and then murder, anything with the word murder in the nomenclature, whether it's attempted murder, murder, or uh, manslaughter, uh, or rec- uh, vehicular murder, um, you can't make work with. It. Um, but every other charge, robbery, assault, um, degree to those, first degree, second degree, whatever, they can all go to work. But I do feel like, you know, and, and currently the women um, in Alabama, if they have a larger charge, they can go to work, at least, but the men cannot. I mean, I feel like that may change again at some point if all of drastic happens, but as of right now, it hasn't changed.
4: Mm.
0: There's absolutely no doubt at all that life for incarcerated people is tough. Even tougher if you are innocent of a crime that you've been convicted of. For a lot of the men and women I speak with, their case consumes them. Apart from taking on a job at the prison, they spend their days and evenings reading law books, trial transcripts, legal briefs, case studies, the list is endless, anything that could help them and their case. But in some situations, being a partner on the outside can be just as tough, if not more so. You have all of the same stresses. You're doing all of the same reading and research, sometimes even more, as you have access to the internet, which your partner wouldn't. But on top of that, you also have day-to-day life. Work, bills, family, friends, and of course, a person in prison who is extremely dependent on you. Not only for the emotional support, but of course, the physical support of doing things that they can't from inside the prison. So I asked Amanda how she's coping with everything. So I mean, uh, you know, how how are you going, like day to day? Because you know, this is it's a big thing to sort of take on when you've got a life and outside of the prison but you've also got this guy you know who's your husband now who's in prison and he's fighting to get out and I'm sure you you know I know you do you uh, on a regular basis finding you know avenues to to help him with that it's almost a full-time job. I speak to another lady who's who met a gentleman who I speak with in prison. His name's Temujin Kenzu, and she has a full-time job and and dogs and and a life outside, but also when she's not working, she's working on trying to get him out of prison. It's a a full-time job in itself.
4: It is. Um, So he kind of is the brains behind the operation, Um, but I do have um, a full-time job and dogs, and it's just... um, it can be overwhelming sometimes and sometimes you don't feel appreciated. Like he understands what's going on out here and all the responsibilities that come with living in the free world, I guess you, you can call it. Um, And so sometimes that gets a little bit frustrating, but pretty much, I mean, we just always kind of, talk it through of what he wants done or how he wants something done or what can we do? And I mean, I mean, it's a constant thing on our minds.
2: Yeah.
4: Who we can talk to, what can we do? I just feel like now we're kind of, we don't know what to do. I mean, we really, we don't, nobody seems to be willing to help. So I'm really hoping that this podcast and thank you for taking this on, um, can kind of get the truth out there because you know, before, I wasn't around in the beginning when they were going to trial and that. And they were told to just stay quiet, stay quiet, stay quiet. And that's what they did. And I think it kind of bit them, but they didn't know any, that no one knew any better. That's what their uh, legal advice was telling them to do.
0: And, and look, I hear that. I hear that so much. And, you know, I've, I know I've, I've said this to you before. You know, it's, it is always the case of, you know, the person on trial is told to be quiet and say nothing. And it's a lose lose situation, really, because. You know, you sit there, say nothing, they'll say that, oh, this person showed no mo- emotion, they're a you know, cold-blooded killer. Or, or if you get angry because someone's up on the stand because they're saying something that's not true, then, you, oh, look, there's that temper. Uh, that's There you go. You, yeah. can, you can see how they could snap. So you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Um, it's a tough, tough situation, that's for sure. You have one minute remaining. As mentioned in our previous episodes, uh, there is now a Facebook page dedicated to helping the Kane brothers with their bid for freedom. The link to which can be found in the show notes of this episode. One minute remaining is a Mashed Pumpkin production created, hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Audio and sound designed by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans of ESA.